0: Hi, I'm Mar Webster with Increative Company, and today I'm so excited to be joined by the wonderful Danielle Brooks to talk all about her role in The Color Purple, and I love how long of a journey you've had with the character of Sophia over the years, um, <laughs> and wanted to in particular talk about the journey of auditioning for this character, because you've had two very different experiences with that.
1: Yeah, um, it's getting on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to acknowledge, I'm just like trying to fix it. Okay, <laughs> I'm with you though. <laughs>
0: I wanted to start by by talking about your audition process with this character because you went through a whole audition process for Broadway, obviously, but then you were re-auditioning for the role in the movie several years later. Um, and I loved hearing you talk about the journey when you were first going through it with Broadway and how you'd just gone through an audition process for Pippin where you'd gotten to the final round and then kind of had these moments of just a little bit of self-doubt. And so you wanted to do a lot of work outside of the room, which then led you to this beautiful path and getting to play Sophia on stage on Broadway. Um, and I was interested in kind of how you took the experience of what that was for you and that journey into the what turned out to be a six month process to get the role in the film.
1: Yeah, I mean, everything you said is spot on. Uh, I did audition for Pippin after auditioning for very many, many, many uh, Broadway and off Broadway shows was not quite getting it, didn't understand why did take the time, even though I went to Juilliard and studied, um, I took the time to do more work because there was more work to be done. I I held a lot of nerves when I walked into audition rooms and they weren't serving me at all. (laughs) And so I had to like find a way to like shed that and to me, that was just becoming more confident in the thing that was bring, bringing me fear, which was the singing, the dancing, uh, being in front of people. So, yeah, I, I pushed through that. And the next audition I had was The Color Purple. It worked out in my favor. I book it and garnered a Tony nomination, a Grammy from that um, experience. Also, what, more so than awards, I garnered like this strength like I, this power that I didn't know that lied underneath all of my mess and so I carried that with me through the I don't know how many years we did that in 2015 16 so eight years later um you know I got the call to audition for this which I was tracking this thing already <laughs> I, my eyes were on it um But I was hoping for an easier path than six months. And that didn't happen because I had thought I had proven myself, but that didn't happen. So I had to let go of my ego. I had to get that out of the way and understand that this project, this role, the purpose that I had was way bigger than myself. And so I went through that audition process of chemistry reads with Corey Hawkins, who went to Juilliard with, we went to Juilliard together and going through um, singing Hell No, um, you know, meetings with the director, writing letters to the director, just out of passion and hunger for the role. Uh, And finally, a day after my birthday, I believe um, it might have been September 18th or 19th, I get the call from Oprah that I had gotten this role and um, it's changed my life it has completely changed my world and and, like I just I haven't even said it in an interview yet but like I am Oscar nominated it's wild it's (laughs) It's really crazy to get to say
0: I mean it's it's so well deserved because you've done so many beautiful things and how you've you've captured this character and and one of the things i wanted to ask you about is playing a character that kind of requires making larger choices because she has this just effervescent charisma to her and you really bring that to her at the foreground. And at the same time, you capture that fragility and vulnerability and kind of the inner world of her just as much. And I was really interested in how you kind of approach playing a character that asks for these two very different types of things for you in a singular performance and make sure that you're honouring both of them all the time.
1: It's where I love to live. It's where I love to live as an actor in the humor and the complexity and the deepest of pain, because that's what my life has been. You know, I think about the dinner scene where Sophia has this in a nanosecond change of emotion from the laughter into the cry. And I feel like that's to me was one of the most honest moments that I had found because I feel like that's what we do as humans. We find a way to laugh through our pain. We find a way when someone says, Hey Mara, how are you today? I'm good. I'm okay. When we're really hurting inside. And so I felt like I had an incredible opportunity to show the humanity of who we are. Um, And for me, that's always found in the details. I just love focusing and harnessing in on everything from uh, articulation of how I say respect that comes from you know growing up my mom and now myself when you really want to get something across we over articulate our words <laughs> so that you know what i'm saying you know to um th- everything from breaking the the picture in hell no to kicking the door in hell no to just really getting down to the details so that people can see themselves or see, be reminded of moments of, of from their past or be connected to, you know, who, who their aunties were or their grandmothers were, or um, just seeing that reflection is so important. And I think you only find that through the details. And so that's where I live. I love being in both worlds because that's just true to who we are as human beings. And I I
0: love that you were bringing up that scene at the dinner table where it is that moment of just like this guttural laugh from not having been able to even speak words out loud very much for so many years. And then that, you know, the tear that kind of comes out of your eye, because I've heard you say that that was actually a detail and kind of like finding the specificity of that was something that you really workshopped during Broadway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was very interested in kind of how you tried different directions and levels to really land on that for something that you were then able to carry over into the film as
1: well. Well, the thing that I got to craft was the laugh because I actually did not have the text that Sophia has when she thanks Miss Seeley. I wanna thank you, Miss Seeley, for being there for me. And when I was feeling down, I didn't have that in the Broadway. So what I got to do was craft the laugh with the audience, who is also a character. They tell me what's working and what doesn't. And I felt like it translated in the film because what you have is the audience has been waiting for a moment for this intensity to kind of swell down. And you get that with Sophia's laughter, which as we know is to me, one of the easiest ways to pierce in someone's heart is make them laugh. And so from there on, I just hit them with the reel of what's going on and what she's really feeling. Um, So that part, was crafted off of so many many layers. I mean, it's just so many layers. I think of the complications of being a woman and not having agency over our bodies, not being able to have equal pay for you know, oppressors of the world, always trying to find a way to kill our spirits. You know, I feel like that was her moment of actually not getting to say, I'm okay, I'm good, but to actually feel, which is what we're trying to do as storytellers and as artists is make people feel something. You know what I mean? Connect to something. Um, you know, imagine better for themselves or their lives, or see themselves moving differently. That's that's the goal of what we do. And so, yeah, I feel like I I I grabbed some of that from the Broadway, but a lot of it was also new discovery, and and a lot of you know, a lot of different things that helped to craft that. um, You know from thinking of people's hurt and pain that we face every day.
0: And there's there's such a beautiful
1: friendship that exists
0: between her and between Celie. um, And it feels like Sophia looks at Celie in a way that nobody else has in her life yet. And she holds that space for her. And and there's the line of referencing, you know, oh, like you remind me of my mother and the relationship that she had with my father. um, And so how did you set about wanting to just create that idea of I'm looking at you and I see your whole self. And also I want to be here to protect you as much as I'm trying to protect myself in the world.
1: That's a great question. Cause when I did do it on Broadway, I always thought when she talked, did the whole hell no song and was explaining, you know, all my life I had to fight. You don't know me, you don't. i always thought it was so combative and more of like putting someone in their place. But then with this version and with maturity and growing up and like just you you living more life, I realized it was about teaching. It truly was about sisterhood. It was more about like, let me show you and pull you into this kind of world and know that you don't have to take the mess. You don't have to live in the mess. You can stand up for yourself. And I love their relationship because it's A moment where Sophia has been so observant of Celie, which is the reason Sophia is able to even survive the things that she went through, was because she had to learn that survival doesn't just come from being this strong woman physically, but it also comes from an internal strength of knowing when to speak, when to be quiet, how to be submissive, which are all things that she had to learn from Celie to survive jail and prison. So I just thought, and then also to rediscover herself, they both rediscover themselves or have a rebirth at their dinner table. When you see Celie stick up for herself and you see Sophia come back to life, the only way they were going to get there was having one another. And to me, that's just so cool. um, I love that storyline and just, the, the fact that we really do need each other and they as they did. And that's such a great point with what you were talking about of,
0: you know, the survivalism of being very instinctive, because even looking at the first time that Sophia meets Mr. It's like, she comes in being like, okay, I'm going to be on the charm offensive. And before he's even spoken, she knows this isn't working and I need to switch. And now I'm going to tell you how it is. And so how did you kind of find the the rhythm of a character who's always having to try and move three steps of everybody else? And essentially it's, if I say it before you can, then I
1: have the power in the situation and I can shift the air in the room. That's so cool. I mean, there's also a part of her that is still developing and growing. I think a lot of it is just her street smart. She is a survivor. You know, she does talk about all my life. I had to fight my daddy, my brothers, my cousins, all of the uncles, you know, so she's learned how to navigate men, but she's also at that point in her life where She don't want to have to navigate men. (laughs) She want men to navigate correctly from the beginning. (laughs) And so she's always at this, um, I think an internal fight that her and, and, and Harpo both are having of breaking these generational curses that they've both witnessed within their own traumas and within, you know, the people that came before them. They're both fighting that. But in the beginning, Sophia is still learning and growing. She's like, a teenager she's like 17 18 19 somewhere in there um so she's like even though she does have this street smartness about her she's still learning and she's still like m- like making mistakes you know and because she should not be beating her husband but <laughs> we don't know but she's she's trying to she's really trying to do what's right Um, And what I've also found interesting is this is a woman who is fighting these generational curses, but being punished for doing so. As we see when she meets Miss Millie and her husband, she is, as every mother wants to be your father as well, be that example of strength for their child. You want your child to witness you being strong. And when she does that, it comes with consequences, almost deathly consequences where she has to say, get my children out of here, get my children out of here. And so it's just such a complex, um, complex character to live in and and discover, um, you know, and, and navigate watching her like, being in her shoes and navigating all of that especially as a woman being one of the first free people you know coming out of slavery and having to just fight so hard for her marriage for herself for her children for her sisters be being so seely um it's it was it was what you want as an actor, you know, you want complexity. You want it to be on the page. You don't want to have to like fill in all these gaps, you know, and so I think to me, I think I'm a testament of that too. When you do have, because I've done it so much where I have had to fill in gaps for characters and writing that wasn't the best. But I think I'm a testament of like too, when you have all of the elements, a great script, a great cast, the writing. I mean, Alice Walker's book, which just is so detailed and gave me so much to work with. Everything falls into place. You you know, you get to just play. That's what I felt like I got to do.
0: And And also even just like having the space of a director like Blitz who encourages ideas and trusts in the cast that he's hired to know their characters and and to have ideas and scenes. And I love the detail of the fact that in Hell No, it was you that was like, no, she needs to kick through the door. Um, and I wanted to just ask a little bit about the genesis of that for you and the ideation, because I've heard you describe how it came from that that training instilled in you at Juilliard of every time a character enters or leaves a room, you want the audience to like still be carried with you and to be with you in that moment. So how did that give you the idea of, she really needs to kick this door down in this moment?
1: because of the detail of the book. When this is a woman described as someone who like got game with a bow and arrow, she's an Amazonian woman. They talk about her be- strength and just how she don't take no mess, you know? And so I'm thinking a woman like that, she don't daintily come through a door. You gonna push the door. And I was just having this conversation, too, of like, do you know, are you an actor that uh, watches your work or you don't watch your work? And that's why I I personally do like not on every scene, like deep scenes, like the jail scene and dinner scene. I don't watch this. I don't want to watch that stuff. I think that's kind of indulgent in your own emotions. That's not the stuff I watch for. But. There was moments that I watched, um, like there was a wide shot that Blitz was having when um I'm walking into before I walk the deck um into the house for Hell No. And I'm with Seeley, and um, and I'm saying, I feel sorry for you to tell you the truth. And I kicked the dirt. And I remember watching before I kicked the door, I, I was just walking. I was like, there's no way. That Celia and Sophia on this wide shot are just going to be walking to the house. Like, I need to add an expression of how she feels and who she is. So I said to Blues, I said, can we go back? I have one more thing I want to try. And that was, I feel sorry for you to tell you the truth. Kick that dust because that's how she feels and he kept it and it made me so happy because I was like now we're getting to like the, the the description of who she truly is with these small details or letting the like letting the audience member know who they're getting to understand and, and come in contact with with Sophia so I forgot the question but I I I, I, I thrive off of getting in the middle of each space of lines and I thrive off every frame and And maybe I'm learning as I talk more about it, there might be a director somewhere inside of me because I, I do that even when I'm watching my peers. I'm just like, oh, in my head, I can't say nothing, but I'm thinking about like, well, if you did that, if we did that, how much more would we milk out of the story. I think that's for me, milking it, milking it. And I think that goes back to the Juilliard days too. Like when you're just in a white box, you have nothing but black clothes on and a white box and you're having to create this world and make this world and and use your imagination. Um, that's always been so much fun for me. So when I actually have the things, when I'm actually in a juke joint and I actually have a you know, a buster and I, and I have a drink in my hand. Like I'm like, let's play, let's go. Like that to me is like the best part of what we do.
0: I mean, I mean, you start the movie in that place where, you know, she's kicking the desk, she's kicking the door down. And then obviously there's such a stark contrast in what you have to encapsulate when she's incarcerated. And, you know, even just that moment where Celie first comes to visit her and she doesn't even respond verbally to anything and just the physicality of the character changes so much. And so how did you set about just creating those minute details of what it looks like to see that character with all of those elements just so stripped away from her?
1: uh, there's so many layers that I want to talk about, and I'm hoping I remember all of them. One is getting into a quiet space and just hearing the pain of women. I've just really called on the ancestors. Just like, I remember asking Blitz, you know, if we can just have a moment of quiet before shooting, and and the cast, or excuse me, the crew was so um, generous in giving me the space to, Find what I needed to. And I just closed my eyes. And I just wanted to hear them. That's all I wanted to do was hear them speak about their woes and sorrows. And I think about women like Fannie Lou Hamer, who actually was in prison and beaten and exposed. They exposed her body, you know, after I don't know if they sexually assaulted her, but they left her there. I thought about her. I thought about you know women in slavery having to take from their own baby's milk and you know give of their milk to white children that they were raising. Like I thought about all of these just pains that we go through um, and have gone through as women, and and letting that land in that moment. But there's this one moment where. Seely slash Fantasia talks about um, you know, as 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 Sophia's been depleted and 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 is her spirit is gone, she says, you know, talking about Harpo, and she starts talking about her children. And I think that was the moment that I decided to lift my head because that was like a glimmer of hope that Sophia could hold on to was her children. And I think about that now as a mom, just the sacrifices that we make every day as moms. You know, we're personal alarm clocks and hairdressers and personal chefs and chauffeurs and therapists. And I'm only speaking about being a mom, but not even talking about being a wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just so much sacrifice that we make every day for our children. And I think that was just the glimmer of hope for her. And then I remember doing this, at finishing that scene in the jail and having the permission I felt in my spirit, those women talking to me saying, don't leave me. That I improv that line, please don't leave me, don't leave me because I felt that's what the spirits were saying to say. And uh, he kept that in, um, but yeah, it's so complex, all of it. And I just am so grateful to be the vessel, because it is a lot of sacrifice, giving of yourself that much. Um, I felt so tired. I I wrote in my journal. I mean, I just used the word, but. I wrote in my journal after these 60 plus days of shooting, I am depleted. I'm so tired. I had given everything I could give. I was in PT and doing um, chiropractor for the scene where the white mob comes at me. Like my back went out during that scene. Um, So I had like been the vessel, done everything I could do, you know, because I knew what we do is about service. It is not about ourselves. And the reason that resonates with me so deeply is because when I watched this in 2005 and watched The Color Purple, if those women on that stage did not give their everything that night that I went to see it, I don't know if I would be here. So I feel like I have a responsibility to whomever is watching our version is and is trying to find their purpose in life. I might be that vessel. So I have a responsibility for their path to give everything that I have so that they can, you know, come to to their you know destiny and 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 what they're supposed to fulfill in life.
0: I really really love that sentiment and you know, it's especially kind of going back to the idea of what you were talking about earlier with that dinner scene for Sophia and Celia, just this idea of them being reborn and, you know, with with everything that you were talking about with her just being in this place where she's completely depleted. And then she goes through that moment at the dinner table where she comes back into herself. It's not that she suddenly becomes fully the version that she was before because she's had all of this life experience that has taken her on a different path. You know, none of us are ever complete in the journeys that we're on in life. And so how did you set about constructing the idea of who is she going to be at the end of this part of her story?
1: I think that was the hardest part. I was like trying to figure out who is she after this, (laughs) you know, because in the play, you don't get much of that. You just see her, go to the picnic and she's with Harpo and they're good. But this, there was more story when you see her um, at the funeral and you you do see her at the picnic and there's a few other moments. So I was really trying to figure out like, how am I going to craft that? And like you say, we're all works in progress. She's never going to be the same Sophia that she was. She's never going to be that strong fighter that we first met um but i think what we witness is someone redefining strength for herself and i think that's what we all have to calibrate for our walks of life whether that's strength or you know put in another verb you know <laughs> Whatever it is that we're trying to do, we will have to recalibrate that for ourselves um, as we go along, and I and that's what I kept trying to find. Um, so I don't know if I found it <laughs> per se, but I think I I think I try my best to find like how she's now redefining strength for herself and it's a little quieter than we've noticed it's not as loud um it's softer but you can feel like this internal strength now
0: and and I've heard you say that in playing Sophia that she's given you so much as a character in terms of allowing you to feel more comfortable sitting in your own power without apology and Um, I remember when when I saw the film screening and there was like such adulation for you afterwards and you sat there for a moment just going, I'm learning how to take this in, like I'm learning how to receive this. And I was just interested in, you know, over the last couple of months, how you feel like even since playing her, that's just been a continuation of your journey and kind of learning to sit in yourself differently because of playing her and the response that you've had to her.
1: Yeah, I'm... I feel like I was watching, well, I feel like I was watching, I was watching, <laughs> I was watching a sermon today uh, by my favorite pastor, Pastor Mike Walward. And I sh- to me, he's more like a Brene Brown. Like he's just like, he's just a spiritual teacher. And he was saying, when you come to like the greatest moments of your life, like the pinnacle moments, like I'm experiencing now. Get away, get away. So it doesn't cloud the true judgment of who you are. So all that noise that you hear about yourself doesn't like get you big headed, basically. And so I'm in New Zealand shooting um, Minecraft right now. And I didn't know it was going to align during this time, but it has been the best gift to me to stay grounded to stay in humility and stay in the work. You know, I get to go to set on Monday and, like, put all of that noise behind me and go tell a new story. And that, to me, is so exciting. I've never been a big-headed person. Um, I've always kind of been like, turtle, turtle, I want you to see me, but don't see me, don't see me. Uh, That's kind of always how I've operated, but I'm learning to stick my head out a little bit more to be proud of my accomplishments. You know, I just feel like I was raised in a way that humility wasn't defined correctly for me. It was in a way of like, you didn't get there on your own, and you, you just, you ain't better than nobody kind of attitude. Um, And I think that kind of hindered me in like, like standing firm in the talent and gift that has been placed over my life. So I think when I talk about Sophia and like redefining her strength, I've had to redefine humility for myself and what that looks like. So it's 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 definitely not the turtle hiding under the shell anymore. It's definitely the turtle that's sticking his head out and saying, I'm here, like Seely does. I'm here. I, I love that it's that version of
0: the turtle for you. I mean, you have genuinely you have so much to be proud for in terms of what you've created. And, you know, I think like what you were saying, it's, it's not just about what you've accomplished in terms of this performance, but the way that it's connected with so many people in, in the different iterations of her over the years. So I just want to say congratulations on being an Oscar thank nominee. You. And thank Very you so good. much
1: for talking about this. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your thoughtful questions.